Hello and welcome back to the Per 90 podcast with me, your host, Matt Smith. And I'm once again joined by Jack Fawcett and HTO MUFC. So first of all, we'd like to just apologise for the lack of uploads recently. We're very busy people, unfortunately, and, you know, it's difficult to find time to do this as much as we'd like with, you know, usual jobs and, and other commitments and things. So, yeah, hopefully... We'll try and figure out a way to try and make it a bit more bit more scheduled and a bit more frequent. Um, but thank you very much for the support so far. It's been great. Um, but moving on, the uh the first sort of topic I think we're gonna focus on, we're gonna look at a few centre forwards. It's it's a big sort of thing over the last few weeks. We've had Harry Kane breaking obviously the England record. There's a lot of young strikers out there at the moment, they're getting a lot of media attention. You know, with the transfer window coming up in the summer, players like Rasmus Hoyland and Ivan Ferguson and obviously plenty others. But yeah, there, there are a few that we'll potentially focus on in, in this pod. But I'll start off with Harry Kane, obviously breaking the England record, overtaking Wayne Rooney. Obviously an absolutely unbelievable achievement for him. What he's done with England, obviously not winning any trophies. You know, very close, obviously, but... Yeah, to get that that sort of goal record is is unbelievable, and you know he's a player that I think gets a lot of unfair criticism. I think that's something we'll, we'll definitely touch upon, and often gets compared to Rooney. But I think it's always difficult comparing players in different eras. Rooney was very different as a player. Rooney, I don't think had the longevity that Kane's probably going to have. You know, you know, he dropped off into midfield, lost his pace a little bit, retired fairly early in comparison to what maybe like someone like Cristiano Ronaldo or Ibrahimovic, other strikers like that. But he went out on a high and that's what a lot of, a lot of players don't do. They'll keep going and keep going and declining. But but Rooney was, wasn't like that. And I, I can see Harry Kane just going to the age of sort of Cristiano Ronaldo and, and Ibra, the way he sort of handles himself. And, you know, you obviously don't know him personally, but he just seems a very committed on and off the pitch and things like that. Um, so yeah, just moving on. H, what what's your sort of thoughts on on Kane? And you know, it's an unbelievable achievement. And and yeah, like like I've already mentioned, he's getting a lot of unfair unfair criticism. I think at the moment, isn't he? Yeah, I think some it's kind of kind of disservice really to everything that he's everything that he's done throughout his career so far. Um, and yeah, I'd, he's one of the best strikers I've ever seen from. From a completeness standpoint, um, and you could talk, you could talk about trophies, and I do, and I do actually partially agree that you know he doesn't show up in big games, and I do, and I do kind of agree with it because he has had chances where you know you could single single handedly break this trophy drought or this mm. this trophy inexistent trophy cabinet. Like he's had his he's had his chances to do it, obviously, um, but I just I think from just an individual perspective, like he's he's an absolute joke. Like he's he's one of the most gifted strikers I've ever seen, and what he can do on what he can do on the ball is something that is generational. We don't see it. We don't see it often. And I think what he's done for England now is he's cemented his all time legacy without winning a trophy. And if that if that was already not cemented, then 
becoming England's all-time leading top goal scorer. And let's be honest, he's going to play for England for another three, four, maybe years. There's absolutely no chance he'll be miles clear of the record. And I agree, I agree with what you said. I don't think comparing him to Rooney is anywhere. Like it's, They're nowhere near similar players. I think Kane's, Kane's career development and the way he's like adapted to his age and he wasn't he wasn't necessarily fast, but he always had a in in the earlier seasons when like the Wembley season under under Pochettino when they moved there he did actually have a little bit of you know off the shoulder running he you know he could lie a bit on his a bit on his stride but now it's just pure it's just pure brilliance pure poaching pure completeness and yeah game game to Old Trafford in the summer and uh, yeah. Win number fourteen, I will be there. Like this, it's almost a fantasy. Like the signings that just don't happen at your football club. Like I can't remember who. Like Frankie De Jong was like a dream signing. You know, like you look at him and you go, he's a Rolls Royce player. Like him coming to Old Trafford, that is ridiculous. Like, same with Varane, for example. Like when he signed for United and Casemiro, these are players that like you could never actually picture at Manchester United. It was always a dream. And Harry Kane is one of those players. And I think that if Manchester United were to go and get him. Uh, it might be a stopgap problem, who knows? But I just think he's still going to be the best striker in the world in three years' time because he doesn't rely on physicality and physical attributes and stuff like that. So, nah, for me, he's absolutely brilliant. I love him, man. I think he's, I think he's perfect, almost perfect. My problem, my problem with Kane is, it's never been his profile. It's never been Kane. It's the fact that so much work needs doing to United. Can we afford to spend 100 mil on Kane? But for 80, like it's being reported, I, I can see I'm happy with it. There's, there's yeah. not many strikers that will come in and have an instant impact like Ramos. I think we'll be looking to the future with him. Can he become a rounded centre-forward with Kane? He's done it. He's so rounded. And you see it at the weekend with his goal um, against Ukraine. Switches the play out wide to Saka, then in the box, finishes it. He's just the finished article and... 80 million, it'd just be perfect for what United need. You know, just want to add. I think 80 million would be a steal, you know. I actually yeah. do. I think for the quality of player you get. And I I don't like looking at age because, well, I, I, I do judge a player quality, like value off their age. Like if they are getting on, like Casemiro for the fee that he was quoted at was like a bit of a steep one for his age and stuff. But Casemiro's in a position where, you know, eventually engine will catch up to him. Like he will have to compensate like phys- physically some way or another. And I just, I just look at Harry Kane and I just think he might, he's not, he's not a relentless presser off the ball. Don't get me wrong, but he doesn't rely on anything. Like he could, he could, he could be fought to like, he's one of them players who show up in a charity match after they've retired for like 10 years. And then you see Twitter clips and he's like, fuck me. He's still mint. Like, and Percy. He's, yeah, like Van Persie, for example, it's just instincts. Like, and I just, I, I love that about a player. And I think, like Jack said, if if you were to say Harry Kane for 100 mil, I'd actually probably say yeah. Um, but I think Harry Kane for 80 mil is like, that's 20 million quid that, you know, a Frimpong would cost you, for example. Like, he just, yeah. Yeah, I'd, yeah, for 80 million, I'd just smack his hand. Honestly, I'd smack their hand off. But I said this, I said this on Twitter. I, I don't think. They're gonna they're gonna hold out they're gonna hold him ransom for however much money they can get because obviously their next big managerial appointment is gonna need some serious backing. So yeah, they they're gonna hold us ransom, I reckon. 
I think um with Kane though, there's the the problem Spurs have is they've I actually can't see too many teams going for him. There's there's always an issue with some some teams they won't go for that twenty nine year old. Like you've already mentioned, paying eighty hundred million for a twenty nine year old as a business decision, it's not a smart one really. But so there's there's a lot of teams out there which I just don't see making that decision. Whereas I think United kind of have to because when, for example, City bringing in uh, Julian Alvarez, don't have to rely on him straight away. Um, Chelsea bringing in young players that they, they don't have to rely on straight away. Datre Fofana up front, young, raw, not ready. But with United, I feel like they've now got to get this striker position right. So they've got to go out and probably pay a little bit more and pay for someone that's ready now in order to help them sort of push for Champions League next season and, and the title. Whereas like City can go and buy an Alvarez and wait for him to be ready. He's probably ready now, but they, they didn't really know that he was going to adapt this quickly. They, they can afford to take that risk. Whereas I think I think you um, United can't at the moment because uh, like, look, we've spoke about Weghorst on this podcast and as, as good as he's been in, in certain aspects, you, you if you want to be pushing for a Premier League title, you need a, a player that's going to score goals realistically. And yeah. I just don't think, I don't think Spurs will be able to hold out for as much as you think, because there's not going to be a massive bid and more for him. I've seen talk today yeah. by Munich. They need a striker, but can I see Kane going there? Maybe not. So I think the 80 million could be fairly realistic. And, and, and there's other mm. strikers, there's young strikers, like, like we've mentioned, Hoyland and Ferguson, who, yeah, would be perfect for United, but you can't rely on them to be the only player. So if you're going to bring in a Hoyland or a Ferguson or a player of that caliber, that profile, you need, I think, for United, you need that elite level striker to come in first. Yeah, if they look past their ego, Real Madrid should honestly go for him. Mm. But I, uh, but I just genuinely, I just don't think they would because he's not won anything, which is crazy because mm. they're going for Pochettino, obviously, but. Like, yeah. it, I don't know. Like, Bayern Munich, Bayern Munich, and Kane, and Real Madrid and Kane, he could easily go over there, retire with two, three, four trophies, win a couple golden boots, you know, do the old English to Real Madrid kind of thing, and I just mm. think big, big clubs will look in, but I don't, I just don't think he'll ever. I don't think he want to leave the Prem. Like, I just don't think he yeah. would. Like, that could he, be fine. I mean. League, you know what I mean? You, you, he's right. going to watch Bayern for the rest of the season. There's managerial uncertainty because two two shows just come in, so he's going to have an eye on them to see how they're doing. Same with Real Madrid. Ancelotti is about to go with United. You know, Ten Hag's going to be there next season. You know, he's there. You can see the progress that United are making. You can see is exactly what United need. You can see what Vegost has brought to the side. Kane brings that and and some. You've got one of the best finishers on top of that. I mean, the dynamics with Rashford. It's just it's scary to think of. You see how it worked with Son. I know it's not been great this season, but he's a centre-forward who doesn't have to score to have a 10 out of 10 game. That's how good he is. Yeah. And he's just, he's perfect for 10 hard setup. It like I've never seen, like him and Son, Rashford and Son are so like comparable. Like, yeah, it's pretty weird, like how similar they are. Like, it would be so easy for him to come in here and you'd literally have to say to him, yeah, okay, just, just do exactly what you were doing. <laughs> <laughs> which song to Rashford and then you'll be all right. Yeah. And that, honestly, that 
sounds stupid, but it'd work. Like, it would. You're partnering one of the best and most informed inside forwards in the world with one of the best creative facilitating centre forwards who's also an elite goal scorer. It's just, it's perfect. I feel like it is, it's just they're made for each other in that system. Yeah. I think he's as well, he needs to break that trophy duck and, you know, Ten Hag's come in already. Yeah, it, look, it's only a Carabao Cup, but, you know, they're still in other competitions ready to play for. They're only going to get better next season under Ten Hag. Ten Hag hasn't got the squad he wants yet. You know, he's not been there long. So he's going to, there's such a good chance of him just coming, going to Manchester United and, and winning that trophy that he needs. And, you know, there's a good chance, I think, next season. I don't think they'll be pushing Premier League title. But there's a good chance to no. get an FA Cup. There's a good chance to, you know, there's a good chance they win the Europa League this season. Like there's there's competitions like that which I think he can easily go on. And Kane, it's Kane could come into this squad right now with not much improvements elsewhere, and the di- difference would be ridiculous because he offers so much defensively, working from the front, the way he drops in. Yeah, it's it's. It's weird because I can't picture him in a United shirt, but I think when he's been at Spurs <laughs> so long, you can't picture him in anything else. Like some players are just like that, but but yeah, I think it's definitely it's definitely a good move for him. But we will see. But we obviously mentioned some other younger strikers, which are that they're all over the media at the moment. One of them being uh, Rasmus Hoyland, and I've I've been chatting to a few people. Uh, someone, someone through work, where we were chatting to a journalist about this guy, and he compared him to to Osimhen in a weird way. Not the same player, but in terms of the sort of physical presence, and I think he he described some of his goals as Osimhen style in in the way he'll just he'll attack that box, he'll attack the six yard box. I think it was his goal this uh, this international break. For, I don't, I know exactly which goal he's on about. Just bursting yeah. into front post, yeah, and, and the defender's yeah. kind of just twist, twisted up in a pretzel. He doesn't know where he is, and <laughs> yeah. it's just that them little instincts that he's he's got. And I I, th- I think before I hand it to you guys, I think there's an issue we have with these young players, and I think social media boosts it a bit. But that you see these young players come from. Obviously, he's very talented. I think he's got a big move in him soon, but. I think we try and push these players to clubs very soon, very quickly. And, you know, he, he literally only joined Atalanta last year, I think. So he, yeah. he's playing a reasonable amount and things like that. So maybe a move to the Premier League is, is not too soon because I think he's capable, but I don't think it's probably the right decision for him at the moment. But, but yeah, I'm going to pass him on to you guys. He's a player that I know you two have, have been interested in recently. And, yeah, he's rightfully getting a lot of media attention at the moment. He's absolutely exploded in this international break. Like, obviously, he was in my five players to watch at, at the start of the season. I've got to throw that in there. That, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the the scary thing is that up until Zapata got injured about a couple of months ago, he wasn't a regular starter in the side. He was playing a bit part role behind Zapata, and he's come in since, and he's just been ridiculous. Like, I remember tweeting out after Zapata went off. I think he came. He came on and bagged two in a 3-3 draw or something like that. And I just tweeted, like, hopefully he gets a run of games now because I want to see how good this lad is. Because you could see the potential at Sturm Graz last season. I hope I'm saying that right. Probably not. But, like, the runs he makes, the strength he's got to hold off defenders, finishes on both feet, and it's just ridiculous. 
Um, his link-up play as well is actually it's really decent, which surprised me because I thought it might take a bit of time to translate into Europe, into top European football, into the, the Serie A. But he's been so good in that Atalanta side. Um, and yeah, just this international break, it seems like everyone everyone is talking about him. Yeah. I released my company at the right time. I literally released the comp before the international break. And I was just like, I wouldn't even say him to join United because I just think, I, I agree with what you said, Matt. I just think that like certain players just need like development at like at clubs for a certain amount of years. Like he has got every ounce of like physical like presence on the pitch. Like he's absolutely rapid. He's instinctive, like he runs well with a ball. Like he's he's got really good upper body strength. He can hold off players. Like that's not the that's not the reason why. Like I don't think he'd he would work at a Premier League club, but you just want to see someone be the complete deal. You want to see him be the complete package. And I think Atalanta is literally known for producing elite talents, and he couldn't really choose to be at a better club where not only does his profile completely suit the intensity of the league. But he's also in a position where, well, everyone knows who you are now because you've got him bagged five goals in two games. You're practically a mainstay in the Atalanta squad because of how good your form is. And, you know, you, you're, fighting, you're fighting for European football with Atalanta. And I think there's, there's literally just not a better place you'd probably be in. Like, you could you could say go, go to the Premier in the summer, but it wouldn't really gain him anything. I mean... You can you can develop your stock without having to move to a you know a fucking Real Madrid or Barcelona or United or Chelsea or whatever. Like you can you can produce like numbers and you know be well well renowned for not doing stuff in big leagues. Like Drogba didn't move to Chelsea until he was twenty six, for example, and you know he turned out to be one of the best strikers in Premier League history. So I think I, I really like him. I think. I, I, the journalist who you who you've been speaking to described him a bit like Ossiemen. It sounds stupid to say because obviously he's he's nowhere near as tall as him, and but he, he's right, he's spot on. Like the way he scores goals, like the front post runs, he's got really, really good aerial ability. He's he's explosive. He moves off the shoulder well, you know. And the, the Serie A, I've said it for a long time. It's the second best league in the world. Like it's not even. I don't think it's close. Yeah, I don't think it's close anymore. I think. We've seen a lot of Spanish football in the in the past few months, and it's absolutely dross. Like, mm. um, you can you can take in you can take apart all your your possessional play and stuff, but the intensity that the Serie A is or the Serie A is now, you know, mustering out. You know, people have it for oh, you put a bit of pace and power in the Serie A and watch a watch a, a guy explode, but they're exploding because of how physical they are. Like most players in the Premier League are physically powerful, and they're producing multiple freakish talents at the moment. Like, and not only the ceiling for that league and that player, but the ceiling for Italian football is just so high right now. Um, you know, and I, I, I love it. Yeah, I love it. You know, they got the 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning, you know, maybe pancakes uh, in the morning. Just, <laughs> you know, it's great stuff, but nah, I, I, I do really, I do really like Colin, but I, I agree with you, Matt. I think, Boot just boots on the ground, stay out for a year or two, you know. Getting a move to like a Brentford or a Brighton, or you know, it might put him a bit more on the domestic map of Premier League football. But realistically, is it going to make him a better player? Probably not. 
Yes, she is as well. I think it's never. It, it, often it's not the player's decision. You've got an agent which wants an agent fee for a big transfer to Man United or a, to a Man City or whoever it may be, and you know, they just get so badly advised. And when you've not been at Atalanta long, and they give young players a chance, and they give players a chance who maybe have failed elsewhere, that it doesn't matter what you've done before. Like Adamola Lookman, for example, was he flopped at Everton, didn't do so well at Leipzig, didn't. I think he'd done okay at Fulham. Leicester barely made an impact. And he's come on and he he's just been unbelievable. Like I watch him and he looks absolutely nothing like the player we saw when he was at Everton. Obviously he was a lot younger at Everton, but you know, he looked like he had attitude problems, didn't really care, and he's such a different player. And I think that league you mentioned obviously the league specifically. And like I said, it's so underrated. And again, giving other players a chance, like Gerard De La Faye has been one of the best players in that league recently. And again, <sighs> failed at Everton. Yeah. What a player, by the way. Failed at Everton, yeah. realistically. I love, it. I love it how he quote tweets all the stats that people tweet about him. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just, like, like top of like, like expected threat quote tweets. Like, oh, yeah, stuff. look at this. Yeah. I'd be surprised if he actually knows what expected threat means. <laughs> people could be making him up, but he'll show him. Doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, yeah. moving on. Oh, he's... Yeah. Another player, again, as I mentioned before, if those of you don't know, I work in as a sort of football writer. I work on the exclusives team. So we start, talk to a lot of journalists and discuss a lot of sources to discuss transfers. And one player that keeps coming up at the moment is Evan Ferguson. And it's it's so clear to see why. But yeah, some of the biggest clubs in in world football at the moment taking a look at him, talking to his agent, things like that. And eighteen years old, I, I think a lot of people don't realize when you talk about young players, you associate maybe twenty three and under with young players, twenty two. But this lad's yeah. eighteen, like that. <laughs> you can't so you can't wrap your head around how you can be. Of course, he's not the finished article, but he looks in terms of profile wise like a complete forward. And like he's he's ready to to take the next step already. There's obviously faults to his game. Yep. You can't be perfect at 18. But what he's shown already in such a short space of time. Obviously, there's the there's the caveat of Brighton are bringing out the best in a lot of players at the moment. Okay, they're bringing out the best in players that previously would have looked fairly average. You know, they're not. Um, what's the word? Sort of. Hollywood players and like fancy players, your your Solly marches and and people like that and and you know Dan Byrne previously just chucked in at left back. There's players like that that, that they look a lot better in this Brighton side. But as a striker, it's very different. You've got to make make things yourself, and the way he drops for the ball, the the, the power he has, but he's not sluggish, and it's it's scary to think where he could be in the next few years when he's only 18 and and H I know you've been heavily focusing on the uh you're getting a few Irish followers at the moment a few Irish fans of you after uh bigging up the Irish talent at the moment and obviously I think he's I don't know if it was his was it his debut last week senior debut or first senior goal I think it was his first yeah it's it his first be. senior goal yeah it was on his debut yeah. as well yeah yeah it was his I think it's his yeah. first start Mm. Yeah. yeah, to, yeah. to come oh, into the it, international yeah. stage, international stage, yeah. and make that impact already. He's definitely earned the chance to, 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 you know, to be leading the line for Republic of Ireland. And like, like I said, H, there's 
so many players coming through Ireland at the moment. It's it's pretty scary to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I I don't even know. I I can't remember where like the idea for that video even like stemmed from. I I I, I must have just been drinking Guinness one night and just thought, <laughs> do you know what? You might just. But honestly, they've they produce they're producing ridiculously good talents and. Um, I've watched a lot of League One and Championship over the past few weeks and uh, well, the past few months now, and there there is just some freakish good players just chilling in the, in these leagues. I mean, Ogbené, the the right winger, he was playing like a defensive right wing role. You give Kylian Mbappe and Teo Hernandez one of the hardest nights I've seen someone give him, and he plays in the Championship or maybe League One. No, he plays in the league. He plays in League One, like. That's not it's not normal. Like this is this is not a normal thing to do. And then factoring in the fact you've got Evan Ferguson, who's 18 years old, he's probably one of the most physical centre forwards in the entire world. And he's I, I I think you said I don't think people can quite grasp because obviously the, the age in the age in like um youngsters coming through now is just getting gradually less and less and less because of how good the technical floor is of these players. But it's not just his technical ability. He's absolutely huge. Like he doesn't. He's not eighteen. Like his stature is. He's so big, and I, I was watching him against France, and he had was it was it Canate and Upamecano who were who were centre back duo for them, and he just didn't look out of place. He was going shoulder to shoulder. He was running channels. He was carrying the ball for him. They were. He was just running through traffic. He, they played Liverpool at home, and he was running past Canate like. He isn't one of the strongest centre halves in the in the Premier League. Like it's scary to think about not only how good his physical profile is, but how secure he is with the ball. He traps the ball well. You know, he's got left foot, right foot finish. He can win he can win headers. He's got a massive leap. His stride is ridiculous. And I just think there's not a like I said with the Highland, it's similar, it's a similar case scenario that you know, Deserby is one of if you want to if you want to flourish as an attacking player, you want to play under Deserby. Like that is mm. that is what you want as a player. You want to play you want to play under a manager who's going to generate you chances no matter what. And I think someone tweeted it the other day, but Evan Ferguson is a particular type of profile where you think that you know your Aussie men, for example, isn't someone who would want the ball to feet nine times out of ten. Like he's not that kind of player, and he would like to play in these certain you know, crafts and certain angles and stuff like that. But Evan Ferguson is a rare breed of striker that would work in absolutely any game state. Like, mm. you could put him against a low block. He can tower above players. He can score scrappy goals. He's absolutely electric in counter-attacks. He can take the ball to feet. He can run your channels. He can dribble out wide. He can do a graveyard shift like he did against France. Like, we're looking at a player here who's not only got ta- technical and physical ability, but his, his tactical understanding and the way he plays in these different states, depending on his, you know, the team's game plan is, it's ridiculous. And Ireland are really good. Like the 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 squad, the day eleven they play. So I was like, there's no way this nation is as low as ranked as it is, because they have some phenomenal players, some ridiculously good players. Gavin Bazunu, Nathan Collins, Obama Dele, like that's. That's three of the back four, um, you know, and it's they're a great they're a great nation. They do deserve 
football to be on a higher pedestal and it was electric in that place on uh, against France. So it will it will get better, but you know, only getting beat one 0 off France isn't something to be sad about because they were exceptional and so was Evan Ferguson. So what a time to come through at Brighton though as well though. You got Matoma in unreal form. You got March reviving. Well he's hitting the highest numbers he's hit. And Obviously, H knows a lot more about Ferguson than me. I've not really looked into him that deep, so I can only really look at the underlying numbers, but they are ridiculous. Defensively out of possession, he's putting up ridiculous numbers, some of the best in the league. My only sort of concern is his creativity, but he has got two assists already, the equivalent of five Premier League matches, and that's just in the league, which is ridiculous. But the underlying numbers, if you look at his expected assists, they're actually quite low. I think it's like 0.2 expected assists and about nine shot-creating actions, which is unsustainable. But 18 years old, you're going to expect that. And to still get two assists from that, obviously it's a small sample size. He's only played the equivalent of five Premier League games, but there's just such an unknown about how good this lad can be. So there's just so much excitement about him. I think he should stay at Brighton because that system, unless Deserby leaves and it all goes tits up, at the minute... I don't think there's a better place for him to be in Europe than under Deserby at Brighton, where he's getting the best out of that team and they're pushing for Europe because he's getting consistent minutes, he's developing, and yeah, the ceiling is ridiculously high. Yeah, I think like you've mentioned there, I mentioned it previously, but of course he's going to have his faults. You can't have a complete, complete yeah. in every single aspect at the age of 18. It was, you know, It's just unheard of, realistically. And you know, of course, he's going to have bits that he needs to work on, and a lot of it will be system based. He's worked in one system, really. He's he's had, like you said, a small sample size. There's going to be areas which he won't contribute in due to the way Deserve he wants him to play. But but yeah, getting to assist already, and and obviously H mentioned it then. But shout out to Ireland for you know they're very unlucky by the way against France. The last few minutes, I thought. Some of the it was two of the two unreal uh, save from Mignon in there yeah. towards the end. Two like save of the season contenders and yeah, that leads us on to a little bit of a chat about goalkeepers. <laughs> and I want to try keep it short because I know these two will love to ramble on. It's a quite a uh, a hot topic for United fans at the moment. It's it's all over social media after the latest news that's come out, but that's David De Gea. And there's been a little bit of news in terms of, not not news as such, but it looks like United are offering him a new deal. Ten Hag wants to keep him at the club. We spoke off air a little bit. I mentioned the fact that, look, in terms of, of, of offering a new deal, it doesn't mean he's going to be the number one. They need to protect his value. Whatever you think of De Gea in the modern era, he's a valuable goalkeeper. There is positives to his game. He's a Man United goalkeeper. He's established, experienced. He, he is valuable in terms of they can make a sale on him. He does have good aspects to his game. The distribution is obviously a major concern, which I'm sure you guys will touch upon. But not just not to shut it down, but it it doesn't necessarily mean. Sorry to the United fans that think oh, Day is the number one now. It doesn't necessarily mean that at all. You need a backup goalkeeper. Dean Henderson is going to be pushing to leave. Now he's got first team football. De Gea could still be sold, probably not in the summer, but in the near future. They bring in a new goalkeeper. 
let them adapt to the United surroundings. You know, it's a big club, a lot of pressure coming in to as in a goalkeeper role. So, yeah, personally, I think I can't I can't see him being number one. Probably for the the reasons that you two are mainly going to touch upon here. But yeah, take it away, boys. I'm going to let H take this one while I try and compose myself over this new contract talk. I'll keep it. I'll keep it kind of short. I'll, I'll try anyway. I I just right. Okay. This is yeah. This is hard to just put into like little little words, but um, there's for me, for me, David de Gea is he's never been he's never been the absolute number one like problem because of how dysfunctional United have been for the past six or seven years. It's always been a matter of you know. When 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 United play bad, David De Gea has his best games, yeah. and when United play good, David De Gea doesn't have a good game. And this is something that has been repeated time and time again. The Fulham game, we got battered for seventy minutes, and it was his best game that he's had in months. And I think people kind of overlook it because they just view games for games. They just view how a player is playing in a game. They don't view it for whatever. But it's the same reason as when United don't have the ball, Rashford plays well, or when United look to have the ball 70% of the time, you know, certain players get isolated. It's the same exact thing, but the club is, I'm not speaking for all Manchester United fans, and especially not Jack, but the club is so stuck in the mud and it has been so long before we've decided to finally bring in a young, you know, tactical coach who actually understands the modern perception of the game and we've finally done it and for me this the it's the first shink on Ten Hag's armor uh, I said this I said this off air but I don't I don't particularly a understand it and b get why having a second goalkeeper who's just been here for a long amount of time on the amount of money he's going to be on is, is at all valuable to Manchester United. And no one's chomping at the bit to get David De Gea. We obviously know this because there's been no links to David De Gea to external clubs, which either means that Manchester United have always promised David De Gea that we'll get a new deal, or this is a thing that has been pre-agreed or spoke with the board and not directly to Ten Hag. And... I don't doubt that David De Gea is one of the best people to have in that dressing room. I don't doubt it because he's been here for a decade. He should get a testimonial, and I think he will. Um, but for me, there's there's certain points where you need to move on, and Manchester United refuse to move on from these sub these subjects time and time again. And we've got an opportunity now to take the first step into the new process, and. <clears throat> We've refused to do it, whether that's Ten Hag or the board or collective or whatever. It's the first sign of the project not not delivering what it promised to do, and that was to make this football club one of the better footballing clubs in the world again. And we'll see if you know. Say we go out and sign a number two, and David De Gea isn't number one next season. Then fair enough, but I still wouldn't understand it. Um. You know, I'd love to sit here and go, you know what, let David De Gea's run let, let let David De Gea run down his contract. You know, we'll say, sorry, David, we're not renewing it. Give him a massive send-off last game of the season. Clap, 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 testimonial, testimonial in the summer break. 
you won loads of trophies, Premier League, Europa, yeah, great. And then move on. But yeah, for me, it just feels a bit too a bit too old fashioned of Manchester United. And we've we've done that for far too many years now, and it's that one has really messed me up. I just can't wrap my head around it. I can't wrap my head around the reasoning behind doing it. Like I get sentiment. I get that he's a club legend, he's won trophies at the club, he's a leader in the dressing room. I understand that. But and people say that he's saved us a lot this season, but that's just because of the inconsistencies of where we're going as a club. We're not controlling games consistently. We're still facing a load of shots a game. And he's still making the occasional great save in games where we're being pinned back and we've not got control. But that's not the direction that we want to go. We want to have control of these matches. And with David De Gea in net, we're just not going to have it. We need a goalkeeper who can allow us to play a high line. We need a goalkeeper who can distribute to the fullbacks or at least just be a presence in build-up and outnumber an opposition press. He's not that. He's forced long so easily, so, so easily. And then we lose the ball. That's why we have no control. And some of some of the, the wording in the article by Laurie Whitwell was just laughable. I couldn't believe what I was reading. Trying to praise him for being the second worst goalkeeper in the league in terms of cross claiming. I mean, he's just he's piling pressure on our centre halves, especially if you want to bring in someone like Timber. That's the last thing you need as a goalkeeper who cannot command his area. Um, his shot stopping is the worst I've seen it this season in terms of statistics. Um, I mean, he's got great reflexes occasionally, but if he was that having that good of a shot stopping season, the underlying numbers would reflect it, and they're not doing so. Um, so yeah, I just can't I can't wrap my head around it. We're just refusing to take such a massive step forward as a club by holding on to De Gea. Uh, and considering he's still going to be probably the second best paid goalkeeper in the league, if not the top as a number two, it just it doesn't make sense whatsoever. It's a terrible decision. But if that's what Ten Hag wants, I'll fully support it. I wouldn't do it that way personally, but yeah. I just yeah. the the most mind-boggling thing for me about it is. I've I've spoke to a lot of people about controlling of football games, and at Manchester United, the number one thing we cannot do is control a football game. Yeah. Like we're frantic on the ball, we're rash on the ball. We have one source of progression out of our front six players. Yeah. It is it is so reliant on a wonder ball from Lissandro Martinez, or uh, you know, or a, a wonder cross, or a long lofted through ball over the top from Luke Shaw. It's it's really annoying to explain to. Explain to people how you best believe that if we go into next season, it doesn't matter if we have four players who are unbelievable on the ball. If the ball is worked to David De Gea, all the opposition team has to do is wait until he touches the ball to then press the passing options around him and watch him boot the yeah. ball into Rosehead. Yeah. And it, explaining that to people is like... It's so annoying because people think that midfielders and centre-halves control games. When the ball goes out for a goal kick, who touches the ball first? Yeah. And who is... And You don't just... You don't just... The, the ball just doesn't, just doesn't just spawn at, like, the number six and the number eight, and then you're on the opposition's final third. That's not how football works. How many teams have we played this season? Fulham, Brentford, Brighton, City, Liverpool, Arsenal. They literally pin us in our own half, and we cannot yeah. move... And the only reason we cannot move is because they can commit just as many bodies as we can because we are a body down in the fight in our own third. Yeah. They can go man to man and, and literally ask the question of David De Gea, go on, boot this ball to someone. Go on. Because yeah. they, they know that he won't be able to do it. 
And I think you can you can talk about like the controlling of games. If if we brought in a Frankie De Jong, for example, or that ilk of profile, and you give them the ball in midfield, yeah, we'd probably break the press. But then what happens when the ball's with Lissandro Martinez and we're playing a really aggressive football team, like like a Brentford or a Brighton, or even like it doesn't even have to go that high anymore. You just have to go to like Leeds, for example. Yeah. And where they'll yeah. where they'll literally stand on your six, your eight, your, your two fullbacks, like it's demanding David De Gea and the Leeds game at home. They literally they literally pressed up until the goalkeeper and then they just locked off all the passing uh, passing yeah. lanes because they knew they knew that he couldn't do it. Because they got the attitude of, are you going to play over us? No, you can't. You don't have the passing range to play over us and find yeah. a runner in behind. You can't draw the press over to one side and play it to the opposite side because you don't have that pass in your locker consistently. It, it's no. just so easy to play. They either press us high and press De Gea aggressively and force him long, or they sit off, close off the options, and again, force De Gea long. Unless someone sits off and leaves the centre-backs open, it's completely redundant in build-up. And I'm trying my best yeah. not to get worked up, but I can't understand <laughs> yeah. this decision from the club. Yeah, but the first, think, the, the first thing is like the, the first pass. It sounds so stupid, but do you know when, do you know when like you're trying to beat the press, and you know you, you either play through it with like your centre half, so you fall back and you knock it about, and then you beat them, and then you run forward. When you when you beat the first press, you don't have to do that thirty times a game. Once you've beaten the press and you've got the ball in the final third, if you can keep the ball in the final yeah. third by just constantly pressing the ball, he doesn't have to do anything. But we can't do that because we can't beat the press. And then we can't play and, a high line when we get the ball into the final yeah. third and pin them in. We have to sit yeah. deep because he can't sweep on top of it as well. It's just it's terror. It's, it's such a horrible fit for this system. Yeah, and I think as well is the shot stopping aspect of it. I actually think that I don't know. I don't. I'm not as good as numbers as with. Well, I'm not as good with numbers as Jack, but I'm not sure if the numbers are like sort of sort of skewed because of the the seven nil and the six three, for example. Yeah. But I'm looking at the seven nil and the six three, and there is still saveable chances in them yeah. games which he lets in, and it's not only that, but the the Brentford and the Brighton game, he drops two clangers in. Well, two clangers in the Brentford game, yeah, and then a clanger in the Bram- uh, the the Brighton game, and then from there he's making good saves. But it 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 like it's David de Gea. Like we know he can make good saves, but he's, he's shot stopping isn't like it's not two thousand and seventeen anymore where we're counting on the edge of our box and he's saving absolutely every shot that comes in yeah. because we can't get out of our own half. It is. It's demanding a lot more of him, and I just—if I, Ten Hag wants to keep him, it's fine. Whatever, we'll just vibe out with a low block again. But I mean, <laughs> I can't—I can't be bothered to watch that for another year. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to because I love the club, but it's such an easy step to take, such an easy step, and the best managers in the world have done it at the biggest Premier League clubs in the fucking league. So just. It's such an easy process to make, and yeah. club legend or not, Joe Hart was literally Man City's best keeper of all time, and they shipped him off. So, yeah. yeah. Well, listeners, you see what uh, exactly what I said. You get get United fans talking about De Gea. This could have been a three-hour podcast if I didn't step in. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, obviously it's a key topic for United, and it's it's a massive it's a massive thing in modern football. This modern day goalkeeper, and I think H sort of vaguely touched upon it there, but about De Gea sort of taking every goal kick and things like that. Goalkeepers touch the ball more than a lot of the outfield players on the pitch. 
and you spend these hundreds of millions on left backs, right backs, you know, wingers who will touch the ball not as much as your goalkeeper with their with their feet, not just their hands, with their feet. It, in the modern era, if you're looking to be a team that controls games, that plays a certain way, you, you have to adapt. And that's the reason why people are, are looking to to for replacements for De Gea. It's not it's not not everything's based on statistics and and all this. Like a lot of people get criticism. I know Jack, you do especially at the moment, but yeah, it, it, it's it's just it's just moving with the times and being. You know, in, in the modern day, it, it, it's simple. The facts, the statistics are there, but they're only there to back up the points. They're not there to yeah. be fully relied upon. You make your point and they back it up. And, you know, yeah, it's just, unfortunately, the modern modern day, some people aren't willing to adapt themselves. And, and yeah, but to sort of end the show, we put a tweet out for those of you that are following us on Twitter. If you're not, what are you doing? Um but we put a tweet out saying we're going to do a little bonus sort of Q&A. But we thought just to make it a bit more interactive over the course of the next few episodes, we'll keep taking questions. We'll keep posting on social media, asking for your input and try and make it a bit interactive. So we've used a couple of the questions that we were sent. And please, on Twitter, send us more questions for next week, the week after. If you listen to an episode, you want to hear something, maybe you want to hear us explain something that we've said a bit more detail, something you don't understand, something you disagree with, just give us a message at Per90Pod on Twitter. But anyway, we received a few questions and one set of questions I got from a good friend of mine, Ollie Pike. He'll be buzzing about that little shout out, by the way. But <laughs> I received two questions. Um, one of them I think would, would be good to hear H's opinion. So I'm going to ask H this one. Um, it, It's about Burnley, a, a side you've done a little video on recently and I've seen a lot of tweets from you about them. A very exciting side doing very well in the championship under Vincent company, a complete style shift from what they had under Sean Dyche. But his question is Burnley under Vincent company. Do they have enough to stay up next season in the premier league? Yeah. Well, I think I actually think they'll do more than stay up. I, 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 I was going to put this in the video, but I did think it was a bit outlandish to say, but I want to get me receipts in somewhere. <laughs> I feel that I feel that Burnley are going to do almost what Sheffield United did, where they come up and they, you know, they, they whacked it in sixth place. I can't remember where they finished or whatever, but um, they're, the, pro- the problem is, the reason why I stumbled on the question is because a lot of their players who are performing at this ridiculously high level are loans. Um, Nathan Teller from Southampton is alone. Um, Ian Matteson, the left back, is yeah. alone. Yeah, the, the, there are instrumental players in this system. I mean, Nathan Teller, by the way, is absolutely mm. ripping up the championship, and Southampton loaned him out. Just, just yeah. think about that. Southampton are going to be in the championship next season, and he's ripping it with <laughs> yeah Burnley. But Ian Ma- Ian Matteson is can do all phases of the game as a left-back. That's not an easy kind of play. You can go out and just, you know, you can loan another one of them in. Um, and depending on how Chelsea manage Ian Madison, they might be able to get him back, who knows. But um, if they recruit well, and it's key that it's key that the recruitment is done well because they made a lot of money through player sales last year, so therefore they could have reinvested the money in that company project. And they, only, they spent actually under what they turned over, so the signs that Burnley are investing 
are there, but it's only if the money is generated. And I'd, what I don't want to see is Vincent Company come to the Premier League, Burnley giving one or two players, and then you know you, you sat there with you know a couple of players who are a bit out of you know a bit out of shape and. You've not got your Nathan Teller replacement in, and you've got him, Ashley Barnes, or and he's, you know, I think he's still there actually. But, um, you know, what I mean, I just don't want to see that happen to Burnley because there is a really exciting project there, and if it is invested too heavily, um, they will definitely go far in the Prem. Yeah, it's not, not a side I've watched too much, but from what I saw from your video and what I have seen, I'm just excited not to see how they do in terms of results wise, but just to see that sort of style, see if they can translate it into the Premier League. And I think you touch upon the sort of out of possession stuff, which of course they have a lot of the ball at the moment, but that's something which will be sort of heavily focused on if they, if they do come up, which it looks like they will. But Jack, one question for you again, from my little friend, Ollie, he's asked any players for the listeners to be watching from outside of the Europe's big six leagues. Outside of the big six league. You see, Ooh. that's a tough one. But from what I've, I've not, I can't say I watch much football outside of the big six leagues. But someone I've heard a lot about is Alan Varela. Now I've not done much <laughs> looking into him myself because I had answer prepared. I didn't know it was outside. I was going to say Wilson Odebert from from Twa, but Alan Varela is a defensive midfielder that I've heard good things about from people that I trust. People saying that United should bring him as a in as a Casemiro backup and a long term successor. So that that's it's hard because I've not looked into him much at all, but I've heard that he's a really promising player and that it'd be mm. perfect for someone like Manchester United. Well, there you it's go. It's like folks. Enzo Fernandez, but deeper. Yeah, <laughs> that's big praise. Yeah. That <laughs> yeah, he's so good, honestly. Is he yeah, good? I, good I cannot say I've good seen player. much of him. I think I tweeted. I think I literally tweeted. Today, something we, we we had to rotate at six and we put someone absolutely garbage there. And I, I just I remember I tweeted like, Oh, United need a eventual successor for Casemiro, look no further. And it was a picture of Alan Varela, and everyone was like, Who the fuck is this? I was like, Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was a good player, really good player. Yeah, that's big praise to compare him to Enzo because I'm tired of seeing him do well. He was perfect <laughs> for us and he's been ripped away. Some player, some player. But there we have it, folks. Thank you so much for listening. Like I mentioned earlier in the pod, we're going to try and get it more regular. But, you know, it's obviously difficult for us with full-time jobs and, and lots of other commitments. But, but yeah, we'll, we'll definitely try. And now the international break is over. We'll hopefully have a lot of things to talk about. Some big games at the weekend that we can hopefully touch upon next week. So, yeah, like I said, thank you so much for listening. If, if you could... Give us a five-star rating. And again, send us a message on Twitter. Any questions you want to hear, any feedback you have and things like that. We'll hopefully look to get some guests on in the next few weeks when we get it a bit more structured in terms of scheduling. But yeah, thank you so much for listening again and we'll hopefully catch you all next week. Mm